0: As we've been going through 1 John, we've seen uh, this common test, these common evidences show up time and time and time again for us. And it's not doing these things, it's not a checklist that God gives us so that we would be saved, but it's evidence, it's fruit. That we should be looking for in our lives to be able to determine, am I truly saved? Right. We know salvation, it's a gift of God. It only comes from Jesus Christ, belief in Him. But He gives us these three tests. right? David Guzik, he wrote them as the truth test, the love test, and the moral test. If we're here this morning and we're saying, I'm going to heaven when we die, we should ask ourselves these things versus the truth test. Do I believe that what the Bible teaches is true? Is the Bible the ultimate authority in this planet and in this universe and in my life? Or am I going to God's word and I'm trying to change things, change meanings, change definitions? Say, ah, that doesn't really mean what it means. That's back 2,000 years ago. That's not for today. Got to be careful with that. Do I believe that what the Bible teaches is truth? Secondly, it's the love test. Am I showing the love of Jesus to others? Am I showing the love of Jesus to others in word and in deed, in spirit and in truth? Am I showing that love to others? Or have I grown more and more bitter as I've quote-unquote grown with the Lord? Am I showing the love of Jesus to other people? And then finally, it's the moral test. Has my conduct changed? Am I looking and behaving more and more like Jesus as I'm growing in my walk with Him? Because if that's not taking place, there's danger signs that should be going on. The evidence, right, the courtroom would show that you're not guilty of being a Christian. Because these things are not evident in your life. So again, we want these things evident in our life. It's not a checklist so that we would be saved. It's just evidence showing that we indeed are saved. At the end of the teaching yesterday, we saw again how we need to have this true love for others, not just in our words, but in our actions. In verse 16 through 18, it tells us, By this we know love. What's the definition of love? It's because He laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, for other Christians. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Again, John, he calls himself, or he says, let us, he's including himself to love not just with our words, but in deed and in truth. In our actions and our love should be defined in the truth of God's word. We talked about it last week and there are some people that came up front for prayer that there are people in this world that say you call yourself a Christian and yet you do X, Y, or Z. And our love, the way we love it, should be defined by what the Bible says love is. Not what this world says love is. Right? I think the definition of love at this point in this world is you have to agree with everything I think, everything that I believe, and you have to applaud it And if you don't, you obviously hate me, right? That's basically the definition of love today in this world. You could have agreed with them for 98% of their life, right? All of a sudden, they do something that is against your convictions. It's against the Word of God. And you say, hey, I don't agree with that. Why do you hate me? You don't love me anymore, right? Again, that conviction, that's not conviction. That's just the definition of the love of this world. But that's not the definition of love from God. We need to be willing to lay down our lives, whether it may be laying down that friendship, laying down other things. I wish we had time to go through all the epistles, and how we should be demonstrating love towards one another, towards believers, towards believers in sin, towards believers in unrepentant sin, but we don't have time for that. Again, we should be loving not just in deed, but in deed and in truth. It has to be the definition that the Bible gives us for what love is. And then in verse 19 through the end of the chapter, we're gonna see that God desires for us to have assurance in our relationship with Him. He desires that we have assurance that we're going to heaven when we die. God doesn't want us to spend our entire life questioning am I actually saved? Am I really going to go to heaven when I die? God doesn't want us const- constantly just walking around with questions. He wants us to have that comfort, in a sense, a guarantee within our heart. And I think of kids, really. I should have mentioned this in the first service, but I think of kids, right? Kids, they have a confidence in their relationship with their parents almost to a fault, right? My little three-year-old, he has way too much confidence, right? Right? If he wants to talk to me, he'll kick the bathroom door down and he'll just come right in and start talking to me. He has confidence. He has zero shame on what's going on and what's happening. Right? I could be talking to you up front for prayer. And my kids, I tell them, hey, don't come up front if dad's praying. Or if no, no, right? My dad, if Pastor Raz is praying, you got to leave him alone. But they have confidence. They have confidence in their relationship. And the moment they see it, they scream, they yell, they want to run up front. That's the confidence that we should have in our relationship with Jesus Christ, right? It starts off with that when we're little kids, but then as we grow and mature, what happens? Sometimes we even question, right? Do my parents even love me, right? I think my friends that say that everything my parents say is wrong, I think they're the ones that really love me. Even though they pay for my rent, my food, my clothes, my my bills, my insurance, my friends, they're the ones that really love me. And sometimes we go through this in our immaturity. We begin to question, Lord, am I even saved, right? It usually happens after that first time that we pray that prayer. Maybe you were here at the God's Way Radio Summer Bash and you prayed that prayer. And then the rest of the week you're saying, man, am I really saved or not? Did it really stick or not? I prayed that prayer, but then I walked out in the parking lot and... I was still listening to I don't know that many secular stations right power 96 I don't know if that's still a thing or not right right and you're out there like, oh I listened to it by mistake am I saved or not saved right you got baptized at the last water baptism and you walked out and you started cussing with your friends oh no am I saved or not saved I think we've all been through that season I remember as a kid where my prayer every night was to be saved right let's just in case let's just pray this over and over and over again just to make sure we got our things covered, right? What John tells us in verse 19, and by this we know we can have this comfort, we can have this guarantee that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. If we are loving in deed and in truth, not just in word, not just in tongue, we can know that we are of the truth and we shall persuade we're going to comfort our heart to stop condemning us that happens when you have a true love for the body of believers right when we come to christ paul tells us right we're a new creation the old is gone and the new is come you should have a new set of desires within your life when you come to christ we mentioned it last week right there's some people that their first time coming to church was to come and beat up pastor raz right And that desire has changed. Or now they love the pastor. They love the pastor. They love the body of Christ. They want to help protect the body of Christ. And as that love grows, there's a comfort within our hearts. Lord, you have changed me. Lord, you've changed my desires. Right? Do you have a love for God's word? Do you have a love to be obedient to God? Do you have a love to be with God's people? Then your heart should be comforted by this truth, by knowing that you are of the truth, that you've changed, you're a new creation. And we go through these seasons, and it's from our heart, right? Not our actual, the heart, the organ, but it's our heart, it's our emotions, and it's our feelings. And this is another reminder that our feelings and our emotions are not the cornerstone of our relationship with Jesus Christ. The cornerstone of our relationship with Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. He's the anchor. Everything is connected to him. So even if we're going through those times that our hearts are condemning us, we need to go back to God. But again, God desires for us to have this assurance of our salvation. He desires that within us. Just as any loving mom or dad here wants our kids to have that guarantee, to have that comfort that their parents love them and their parents are going to be there for them. God has the same desire. He doesn't want us to go about, right, sharing our faith with others, saying, hey, if you, believe, if you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, you will be saved. I don't know if I'm saved yet or not. But if you believe, you're going to be saved. He doesn't want us sharing the gospel like that. Right? He doesn't want us facing death. Really the biggest step of faith in our lifetime is going and passing through that time period where we're going to die. Everyone's going to die. He doesn't want us clinging to the hospital, but I don't know if I'm going to make it or not, right? I don't know if I was good enough or not. I should have gone to church more, right? He doesn't want us going through that. He wants us to be comforted and having that boldness, which we see all throughout the New Testament. We need to walk a life of faith and have boldness in the things of God. So one of the ways we can grow in knowing, one of the ways we can grow in that boldness is, hey, do you love the body of Christ, not just with your words, but with your actions. If we're doing that, it's going to bring assurance to our heart. A.R. Fowl said, he says, assurance is designed to be the ordinary experience and privilege of the believer. That should just be what's ordinary, right? When you're young, when you're that new believer, you struggle with it. But over time and as you mature, you you just know that you know, I'm going to heaven when I die. This newfound love in my heart for the body of believers. I used to want to run in and out of church. I used to say that church was filled with hypocrites, and then I realized I'm a hypocrite too. And I just love being with them. I love spending time with them. I want to spend time with them at church, after church, outside of church. I invite them to the kids' birthday parties, right? Has that love happened within your heart? I was listening to uh, an interview with a pastor. I can't remember his name, but he, he expounded on some of the ways we can grow in our assurance that, hey, I actually am saved. I actually am going to go to heaven when I die. First and foremost, we look at the Bible, right? Are you, do you believe God's word is true above all else? Are you being obedient to God's word? And are you loving the brethren? If you're doing those three things, you have that assurance. Another way you grow in that assurance that you are saved is by going through trials and passing. I don't want that assurance. Or I, don't, I don't want that guarantee. I don't want that comfort. But as we go through trials and we cling to the Lord and stay connected to him, we grow in our assurance of our faith, right? Maybe for some of us, that's our story. We were expecting a certain job or a certain girl or a certain guy, a certain position, and that didn't happen. And then what did we do? Peace. I'm not going to church anymore. I wanted this one thing, and it didn't happen. I got the trial, and I said, Lord, you're not worth it. I didn't get what I wanted, so now I'm out. Maybe that was your story, but now you're back. And you're realizing, you know what, Lord? You're greater than any of my trials. Lord, this cancer, this bad news, no matter what happens, I'm not going to shake my fist at you. Lord, I have all of eternity to spend with you. Lord, I I don't have any kids yet, but Lord, I'm going to do my best, Lord, to minister to the kids and kids ministry and to the youth because, Lord, you're greater than all this. You're greater than this life. Right, you look at Job and how he's able to say, though he slay me, I will trust in him. Again, that brings assurance to our heart that we know that we know, hey, I'm saved. I've gone through some things. And that only happens as you mature and grow in your walk with the Lord. So that's another way that we get that assurance, right? We don't like that, but it's true. We should count of all joy when we're in various trials. Verse 20, for if our heart condemns us, right? If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Right? Anyone here in their heart has never condemned them, right? You've never had that question mark happen within your mind. It reminds me of in First John chapter two, verse one, in the chapter right next door. He says, "My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous." John points out, hey. We're all going to go through seasons where our heart condemns us. We talked about that again. Oftentimes it's when we're young in the Lord. Other times we make a decision for God and perhaps people didn't take it the way we thought they would take it. And now we're questioning ourselves. Was that really the right decision? Our heart begins to condemn us. But what we should do when our heart condemns us is to be reminded, again, 1 John three twenty, God is greater than our heart. God is more important than our emotions, our feelings, and what we're going through. And he knows all things. To the believer, this should comfort us. To the non-believer, or maybe you're here and you're a make-believer, right? This should strike fear within our heart. Again, before we get to that point, who condemns us? First and foremost, 1 John 3:20, our heart and our emotions, they condemn us. They tell us you're not good enough. How how dare you call yourself a Christian? How could you show up at church today after what you did yesterday? Our heart and our emotions condemn us. The other person who condemns us is Satan. In Revelation chapter 12 verse 10, his name is the accuser of the brethren. In Revelation 20, verse 10, it says, The accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night, he's been cast down. We pray, we look forward to Revelation uh, Revelation 12, verse 10. But until then, Satan, he's walking around and he's accusing us. He's accusing us to the Lord. And within our minds, he's saying, man, why don't you just give up? You can't come back from this. You really think he's going to forgive you of this? People at church, they're going to look at you differently. And our heart and the enemy, they condemn us. Right? Maybe some of the husbands here are saying, my wife, she's the one that condemns me. right? That's a, that's a different teaching, different Bible study, right? But again, our hearts and the enemy, they condemn us. What should we do when we go through all this? We need to be reminded God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Psalm 44, verse 21, you could just write these down. We'll turn to the book of Psalms in a moment. Psalm 44, verse 21, it says, Would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. He knows the secrets of the heart. Psalm 90, verse 8, it says, You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your countenance. Again, if you're not doing well with the Lord right now, this is a death sentence. You mean God, he knows the secrets of your heart? God knows the iniquities of your heart? It says that our sins are before him as the daylight in front of him in his countenance. Right? You know, he knows my secrets. He knows the way I act at work compared to the way I I act here at church. He knows what I'm thinking right now during the Bible study. He knows what I'm doing on my phone while I'm alone. He knows when I erase the things on my phone. He knows it all. Again, our iniquities, our secret sins, they are out in front before him. He knows all things past, present, and future. And for the unbeliever, that should shock you. But here's the truth. He still loves you. He still desires to have a friendship and relationship with you. His desire is to forgive you and free you from those secret sins and those iniquities. He knows all things. And now for those of us who are a believer, this should bring us comfort. Psalm 139, let's turn there. Psalm 139, again the truth is that God knows all things. Our secret sins, the true reason why we do things, He knows all things and yet He loves us. Yet He chose us before the foundations of the world. Knowing the sins you would commit in the past, the sins that you're committing right now, and the sins you're going to commit in the future. He still chose you. He still wants to love you. Psalm 139, verse 1 through 8. Psalm of David. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will praise you. That's Psalm Psalm 139. Sorry about that. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Again, family, he sees everything. And if your heart's condemning you and you have that assurance, He's greater than our hearts and He knows everything. He knew the sin that you would be dealing with right now. He he knew the condemnation you would be dealing with right now. And we don't just focus on our emotions and our feelings. No, we focus on the Lord. That He loves you and He wants to forgive you even with what you're dealing with right now. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. And this gives us the proper perspective in how we should react To God knowing all things. Our sins, our secret sins, the reason for our sins, our hypocritical life, the two-faced people that we are. He knows all things. So how should we react? We should bring it all to Him. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 through 16. Again it tells us, there is no creature hidden from His sight but all things are naked and open to the eyes to whom we must give account. Right? We, we put on a facade, we put on a mask for the people around us because we want them to think more highly of us. Yeah, you're not the one that's going to judge me. My eternity is not in your hands. My eternity is in God's hands, but guess what? He sees past all the masks. He sees past all the facades, all the hypocritical life choices that I make he sees past all of it. I don't know if this is or Maybe you'll get bothered by it. But during this past season, I don't know if you've seen someone for like a long time and you always see them with a mask. And then you see them for the first time without a mask and you're like, whoa, I never thought they looked like that, right? <laughs> and you could get surprised. Maybe it's good surprises. Maybe it's not so good surprises, right? But you get surprised, right? The Lord, He's not surprised. He knows exactly who you are. Your brokenness, your sin. The hypocrisy you have in church and with your spouse, right? With your wife. He sees all of it. So how should we react? Then verse 14, it tells us, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, that is in view of God knowing all of our sins and all of our nakedness, in view of this incredible high priest that we have, what should we do? We should come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the way we should react to knowing that God knows our sins and our faults. And there's some of us here this morning that we're choking out our own spiritual life because we're trying to hide past sins. We're trying to hide who we used to be. We're trying to hide the sins that we're committing right now. And we're trying to hold them in so tight that you're about to explode. The pressure in your life, you can't take it anymore. And instead of going to a brother and sister and confessing your sins before them, instead of going to the throne of grace so that you would find mercy and help, you're trying to hold them all in. And we're doing the exact opposite. Oftentimes when we go to a brother or sister and we say, hey, these are the things that I'm struggling with, oftentimes, they say, man, I used to struggle with that all the time too. Man, you're struggling with pornography. Man, I used to struggle with pornography too. And you, you struggle with adultery and stuff like that. Man, in my previous life, I used to struggle with adultery too. And yet the Lord saved me and I've grown from that. You struggle with suicidal thoughts. You struggle with trying to please people? I struggled with that too. But the problem is, is we try so much to try to have this facade. We're dying inside. And we're not coming to the help that God has given us. The help to go to the throne of grace and the help within the body of Christ. It's just like in John chapter 21 verse 17, right? If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. In John chapter 21, right, you think of Peter, how everything he went through. I don't know if there's someone that you love dearly and they passed away and how you're able to remember the last conversation you had with them. And from that you say, man, I should have I told them I love them. I should have spent more time with them. Maybe it brings you comfort, right? You know that you told them that you love them. You know that you told them how much they meant to you. But think of Peter and those three days that Jesus was in the grave, how his mind must have been torturing him, right? What was Peter's last memory with his Lord, with his Savior, with his master? Denying him three times. Denying him in front of a little girl. Cursing his own life in front of a little girl. And this was the last time he would lock eyes with his Savior face to face. Tells us he looked into his eyes, looking down into his soul, saying, Peter, I told you. Not only does he have to remember that he denied him three times, but then he has to remember Jesus warning him that he's going to deny him, right? Talk about torture. Man, he told me I would do this. And I stood up like an idiot. I stood up in front of everyone saying, Jesus, I know these 11 guys are a bunch of punks. They'll deny you, but I'll never deny you, right? And man, I did exactly what I said I wouldn't do. His heart, it had to have been condemning him. But there in John chapter 21, Jesus appears to them. Jesus already has the bread and the fish on the shore for them. Peter, he jumps into the water. He swims to shore. He greets his Savior. And then Jesus asks him the question, right? Peter, do you love me? And his question there is, Peter, do you agape me? Peter, do you love me selflessly? Peter, do you love me even if it's going to cost you? And the way Peter responds, it's basically, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds, Lord, I I really like you. Lord, I really like you. You're like a brother to me. I phileo you. Lord, I like you so much. Then Jesus once again, hey, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me sacrificially, no matter the cost? Peter, again, having to, be, at least he's humble now, right? He doesn't just say, yeah, Lord, I agape you, right? He says, Lord, I'm, I'm really fond of you, Lord. I, I'm really fond of you, God. I'm really fond of you, Jesus. And there in John chapter 21, verse 17, it says, He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you? And now he comes down to his level. Hey, do you phileo me? Are you really fond of me, right? Are you really like a brother to me? Do you love me like a brother? And now Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Again, family, if you're here this morning and your heart is condemning you, be reminded of who Jesus is and how Jesus, he knows everything about us. Sometimes our sins and our falling short, we get surprised at them, right? Because our pride is so great. We think, never me. Or sometimes what happens is we're so harsh to other Christians that when we fall as they've fallen, we get a bit surprised, right? Man, I didn't think I was capable of such things. And what we should do is not be condemned, is not just allow our hearts to be grieved, not just allow the enemy to beat us up, but we need to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, you know all things, Lord, you see the depths of my heart. You see what I really want and what I really desire right now. And maybe that's you in this season. Maybe you're wanting to serve the Lord at a greater capacity, but your health is betraying you, right? You're trying to serve the Lord at a greater capacity, but that's just not the season of life you're in right now. Maybe you're, Lord, I want to do this and I want to do that for you, and you're not able to. The Lord knows your heart. The Lord knows, again, the true reason why you're doing these things. Is it really because you love him? Or are you just making a bunch of excuses now, right? That's a double-edged sword. He knows all things, right? So if you're just making excuses, he knows. He sees the real reason why. But if our heart is condemning us, man, he's going to say, Hey, I see your heart. I know that you love me. Again, we need to take that and take that in. And he knows all things. Verse 21. Now we see the other side of this, right? It says, now, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. So now, if our heart does not condemn us, we should have a confidence towards God. And this is like that confidence I was talking about with young kids, right? That there should be nothing holding us back from going to God to talk with Him. There should be nothing holding us back from going to God and asking Him, there should be nothing holding us back from God to spend more time with Him. That is what true confidence in God causes us to do. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, it tells us, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage against a fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Again, if God's spirit is within us, we should be crying out to him like our dad. Like our dad. Maybe you had a bad example of a father. Maybe you had a terrible example of a father. This is the perfect father. Selfless love. And now we can cry out to him. We should cry out to him. Verse 16 there says, The spirit himself bears witness within our spirit that we are the children of God. Again, the spirit of God living inside of us bears witness to our spirit, sometimes to our emotions, to our center of thought and saying, no, you are one of mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. Right? Sometimes in sharing the gospel with someone else, sharing the hope we have for heaven, sometimes it just comes to that point where we just say, I, I just know. Right? How do you know you're really going to heaven when you die? And you go through all the scriptures, right? We're going to look at it in a moment, absent in the body, present with the Lord. We're going to go through all these hopes, right? He's put eternal life in our hearts, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, man, I just know. I just can't explain it. But his spirit is living inside of me. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, it tells us that he's given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He's sealed us and it's a guarantee. It's a comfort within us, Lord. I'm going to see you face to face. Let's turn quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, again, the confidence that we should have as sons and daughters. Shouldn't be fearful to come to the Lord and cry out to him. We shouldn't be fearful because we're loving the Lord. We're being obedient to his word and we believe his word is the truth the truth second corinthians chapter 5 verse 5 through 8 it says now he who has prepared us for this very thing is god who has given us the spirit as a guarantee so we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body we're present from the lord for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident. Yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Again, God wants us to have that confidence. And many seasoned believers, when I see them pass away, they have that confidence. They have that confidence as, hey, I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him face to face. I'm going to see the other believers that I miss so dearly. I'm going to see them. I'll see you later. This is my cruise. This is my see you later. I'll see you soon, right? There's that confidence that should be within us and that should encourage us. Now the question is, now does everyone who has confidence automatically have salvation? You guys should be able to answer me, right? No, that's the answer. There are many people who have a false confidence. They have misplaced confidence. There are people that say, yeah, man, me and the man upstairs, we're bros. What are you talking about, right? Just our relationship looks different than your relationship. Your relationship is all religious. You go to church, all that stuff. But me, man, we're just buddies, right? I don't know if you heard someone like that, right? I just know, man, I just listen to some of those worship songs, and ah, I just get goosebumps, right? And I just know. I know my sin is, my life is like a mess, but no, I just know. I just know that I'm saved, right? I know you go to church. Hey, I go to church, too. My church is it's just not a church. It's like out there in the boat, just me alone, right, with some beers. And then it's just me and the Lord, and that's, that's how we do church, right? I got to be careful. There are people that have misplaced confidence. In one of the pastor's meetings, we were talking about how crazy the day and age we live in is. And I don't know if you've seen the things that people wear when they go to Walmart, right? I don't know if it's just me. Sometimes I walk in and I say, what is this person wearing, right? I'm going to go down another aisle. And there are people that are wearing things they have no business wearing, right? They have a misplaced confidence. <laughs> That's what it is. And there are people out there claiming, I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God, and they have misplaced confidence. Right? I don't know if you've ever seen someone saying things they have no business saying, right? You're there with your job and the new person that's applying for the job, it's the first day of the interview and they start saying all these weird jokes and all this craziness in front of your boss. And then they realize, yeah, I'm going to have the interview with you in a moment, right? They're saying things they have no business saying. A misplaced confidence, right? There's many people like that. First John chapter 1, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You can have all the feelings and emotions you want, but we just read that God is greater than our hearts. God is greater than our feelings. God is greater than our emotions. We need to look to God's Word. We need to be able to lovingly go to those people that we love that say that they're believers. And man, in a loving and a kind and a gracious way, trying to win them over, go through First John. Hey, do you believe God's Word is true? No, I don't believe this. that, third, Okay, This is what 1 John says, right? Hey, do you love being with other Christians? Do you realize what the Bible's definition of church is? It's being with other believers. It's being with other Christians, right? The ecclesia, this is what it actually means. It's not just going out and doing whatever you want, right? You see this. 1 John says that we have to have a love for other Christians if we truly are saved. Do you see this, right? we got to be able to sit down and and speak with them. The problem is you can write down 1 Timothy chapter 4, Verse 1 and 2, it says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And there are many people today because we're living in the last times. We're living in latter times. And their conscience is seared completely to oblivion, right? They're completely walking in sin. They're living one way here at church and in a completely other way with all their friends. And they say, ah, of course I'm saved, right? I have a lifetime membership at Calvary Chapel Miami. What are you talking about? Of course I'm saved. And again, we have to be careful. A.R. Fowl says, John does not mean that all whose hearts do not condemn them are therefore safe before God. For some have had their conscience seared. Others are ignorant of the truth. And it is not only sincerity, but it is sincerity in the truth which can save men. Christians are those men here knowing Christ's precepts and testing themselves by them. How do we judge if we're a believer or not? It's not by looking at the rest of the world. It's not by looking at the worst of our friendships or the worst people in our circle. It's by going to God's word and asking, Lord, do I really know you? Do I really trust you? There, in verse twenty-two, he continues says, "Whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight." I think each of us we've taken this scripture to heart, and most of the time, out of context. Right? We got something big coming up, or we got a tester, a quiz, maybe a job application coming up. So we like go to church for like two weeks straight, and then we say, "Lord, I'm coming to you, God." I've kept your commandments. I'm doing what's pleasing in your sight. Now, Lord, I need this job, right? I need to pass this test. I need you to save my marriage. I've been a horrible husband for the last 20 years of our marriage, but I've gone to church this week. So, Lord, would you save my marriage, right? We, we take this out of context. We need to be careful. What this is truly meaning is that confidence in our relationship with God, confidence that we truly have eternal salvation, should lead us to go to God in prayer more and more. That's what our confidence in Jesus should do. Some of you feel like, man, that was a letdown. What do you mean, right? No, our confidence in God should cause us to go and pray more and more. Should cause us to seek him more and more. It should not lead us to have confidence in our sin. right? He's going to love me. He's going to forgive me anyway. So I could do these things, right? He'll come later on. He's not going to come today. That rapture stuff, that's later on. Once I'm married, I have great grandkids. That's when he's going to come, right? That's not what the confidence should be about. The confidence shouldn't be about, hey, I already got heaven, so I'm just gonna like chillax here on earth. I'm not gonna cause any waves, I'm not gonna cause, right? There's some of the 12 disciples that aren't that famous. That could be me, right? I don't have to have a book of the Bible named after me. I could just be chill, do nothing, and I'll have heaven afterwards. That's not what the confidence should cause us to do. Reference this confidence, C.H. Dodd, he says, the word render confidence stood in ancient Greece for the most valued right of a citizen of a free state. What was that most valued right? The right to speak his mind unhampered by fear or shame. That's the confidence that we should have if we're that son or daughter, is to be able to speak our minds to God, to be real with him, to not hold anything back because of fear or shame. Our confidence is in God and in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we should be bringing everything to him. Every thought we should be bringing to him. Right? You think of David. You look at the book of Psalms and you see how he trusted and he gave everything to the Lord. I don't know if I'm at the place where I would be praying or, right, think about writing a song to the Lord. Lord, bash the teeth of my enemies in. Right? He he took everything to the Lord. He didn't hold anything back because of fear or what God may think. No, he was open and bare before him. And that's what this confidence should do within us. Psalm 145. You can turn there real quick. A couple of these psalms. Again, an encouragement to us who are being obedient to his word. And we're going to see that great convicting line. Doing the things that are pleasing in his sight. Psalm 145, verse 18. Psalm 145, verse 18, it says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him. But all the wicked he will destroy. Again, what side are we on? Are we those who fear him? Are we those who are near to him? Are we those who call upon him? Or are we those who are with the wicked? He's going to hear us if we're with him. He's going to hear us if we respect him and reverence his name. In Psalm 34 verse 15 it tells us the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against Those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Again, the great line there is, are we keeping his commandments and are we doing those things that are pleasing in his sight? I got convicted while I was studying, I got convicted at the 9, and I'm getting convicted again here at the 11, right? Of how many hours we've been awake this morning, this afternoon. How many of our decisions, how many of our choices were made because I believe this is going to be pleasing to God. I'm going to speak to my wife like this, because this is what I think, this is what would please God. I'm going to speak to my kids this way, because you know what, this is what I think will please God. Look at our choices. Look at our lives. How much of our decisions were based on, this is what I think will please me. This is really what I want, so this is what I'm going to do. Right. Maybe we're at that season in life where, you know what, I'm going to do this because I think this is going to please the other people. This is going to make me look good in their eyes, so that's why I'm going to make this decision. But how often are we making decisions to keep His commandments and saying, Lord, this is what I think will please you. And when we're living in that manner, we're going to be able to ask. And it's going to be, Lord, this is what I think is going to please you. Lord, your word says a broken and contrite heart. You will not despise. Lord, would you give me a broken and contrite heart? Lord, you say that you're near to the righteous. You hear their cry. Lord, would you help me to be that righteous man or woman after your own heart? Again, oftentimes we pray prayers, if we're completely honest, prayers of comfort. How many of our prayers are just of comfort, right? Lord, would you just fix America so I'd be more comfortable? Lord, would you just fix my health so I would be more comfortable? Lord, could you get this guy out of the way in front of me so I could be more comfortable driving, right? So many of our prayers, so many of my prayers, it's all about my comforts, but it's, it's not very often, Lord. I want to pray this because this is what I think will please you, Lord. This is what I think will please you. Again, may we grow in that. May we not become, forget the the word right now, right? That we're just begging for punishment, right? That's not what we're about. We should cry out to him as sons and daughters. But how much of our prayers are truly, Lord, this is what I think will please you. John, he's probably drawing from John 15 verse seven. And this is where Jesus says, if you abide in me, if you dwell in Jesus and my words abide in you, God's word abides in your life. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. So that's the question for us. Are you abiding in Jesus Christ, and does God's word abide? Does it dwell within your heart? Because if it truly dwells in your heart, hey, anything you desire, anything that you ask, it's going to be done for you. If the truth that the wages of sin is death abides in your heart, you're not going to be asking God to be in that relationship with an unbeliever having sex. Because you know, man, if I go down this road, it's only gonna lead to death. You're not gonna be praying those prayers. If God's word is truly reigning in your heart, the things you desire, the things you ask, He's gonna do because they're gonna line up with God's desires. And he's gonna want to do it. Lord, help me to, Lord, show the love of Christ to my spouse and to my kids. Lord, help me to be a light at school. That's his desire. It's to draw unto himself. So if you're praying that prayer, he's going to help you do those things. But again, we need to keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Verse 23, and this is his commandment. Some of the English teachers here may want to have a word with John once they get to heaven, right? This is his commandment, singular, one commandment. That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. You see, these two commandments are united and impossible to break apart. We need to believe in Jesus and we need to love Jesus' people. Those two commandments are united and no one can tear them apart. The only way we're going to love Jesus' people is if we love Jesus. And the evidence that we really love Jesus is going to be shown in the way that we love his people. Those two things are one and the same. This is taken from John chapter 6, verse 28 and 29. The disciples, they turned to Jesus and they say, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? What can we do that we be able to do these mighty things like you, Lord? And in verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. You see, family, the single greatest work of God that we can do is believing that Jesus is who he says he is. Believing that Jesus truly is the Son of God, sent to heaven because of my sins. He died, he resurrected, and he's given me life. This is the greatest work any of us can do. It's to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. David Guzik, he says, to believe on the name of Jesus means to put your belief on Jesus in the sense of trusting him, relying on him, and clinging to Jesus. It's not about intellectual knowledge. It's not about understanding. It is about trust. Again, family, where's our trust? Where's our reliance? What are we clinging to? Is it our, right, our retirement? Is it our cryptocurrency? Is it our private secret bunker in the woods that nobody knows about, right? What are we relying on? What are we clinging to, Right? That someone's going to appear out of nowhere and take over the nation and save us, right? What's your belief? We need to trust, rely, and cling to Jesus. And sometimes we can grow apathetic to this truth, to this miracle, that the greatest work we can do is to believe in Him who He sent. Lord, all my trust is in You. All my reliance is in You. All of my hope, Lord, it's in, in You, And we can grow apathetic to the greatest miracle, true belief in Jesus Christ. That is to trust on the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Don't take it for granted. That's the greatest miracle we have today is men's hearts and lives changing from death for all of eternity to light. Men that were having an agape love for sin and now they say, Lord, I want you. And he's made a new creation. And now he has an agape love for the Lord, for his word, for other believers. This is the greatest miracle of our day. We need to be careful when we assume that people are saved. And each of us, we fall prey to this. We just assume that person's saved, right? As parents, oftentimes, we just assume that our kids are saved. Of course they have to be saved, right? Of course. Of course. But yeah, what does Jesus say, right? Talk about probabilities. He says, wide is the way that leads to destruction. And many will find it. But narrow is the way that leads to life. And there are few that will find it. So if you want to assume anything, assume the wide way. Assume the way to destruction. And that's the path many people are on. And we just assume that this great and incredible miracle of salvation, of course everybody around us has it. But do they Really? We need to be careful with that assumption. It's the greatest miracle we have today. May we be praying for it. May we be asking for it. We need to keep his commandments. We need to dwell in his love. John chapter 15 verse 10 John 15, verse 10 through 14, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Right? Notice the progression here in verse 10 through verse 14. If we keep his commandments in verse 10, we're going to be abiding. We're going to be dwelling in the love of Jesus Christ, just as he kept his father's commandments and he dwelled in his father's love. This is the mark of true friendship and true relationship with jesus christ what is it it's if we do what he commands us to do you want to see hey are you really saved or not are you doing what the bible says that's the only way you have friendship with christ that's the evidence of it that you're doing whatever i command you and what was his last commandment before verse 14 love one another as i have loved you You see, these three things, they keep going back and forth, one after the other. Just a wheel that keeps happening. We need to be obedient to God's word. We need to be obedient to Jesus. That shows that we really love him, that we're really saved. And now what's the first thing he asks us to do? Love believers. Love the body of Christ. Love the Lord your God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. In this, all the commandments are in it. So again, for us, are we that friend of Christ? Are we doing whatever he's commanded us to do? If yes, then the first commandment he showed us there in verse 12 is that we love one another as he has loved us. Finally, verse 24, 1 John chapter 3. It tells us, now he who keeps his commandment abides in him. Same thing here. If you're really my friend, if you do what I command you. We abide, we dwell in Jesus. And now he is going to dwell in us And by this we know that He abides, that He dwells in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Family, if we believe in Jesus and love one another, we will abide in Him and He's going to abide in us. He's given us the comfort, right? He's given us the Holy Spirit. And we know He dwells inside of us by the Spirit that He has given us. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. And we'll close here. Worship team, you can come up front. Romans chapter 8. Verse 9 through 11. Romans 8, verse 9 through 11. It says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors. We are debtors, but not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Again, family, which side of this are you on? Are you just being obedient to your flesh? Are you just being obedient to sin? Are you just being obedient to this world and the things that this world says? Or are you being Obedient to Christ. Are you being obedient to his word, right? In verse 8 there, it says, So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The only way we can please God is if we're in the spirit. The only way we demonstrate that we're, we're really his friend is that we're being obedient to his commandments. So again, as we leave here this afternoon, man, those questions, am I living in a way, my decisions, my habits... Are they all because this is what's going to be pleasing in His sight? Lord, I'm going to make this decision because, Lord, I think this is going to be pleasing in His sight. And then those three tests, right? Do we believe that God's Word is true? Above everything else, God, Your Word is true. Are we loving others? Can others see the love of Christ in us? Do we love the body of believers? Or can we not stand them, right? And then finally, that moral test. Am I looking more and more like Jesus? Am I walking more and more in the Spirit and by the Spirit? Or am I walking more and more in the flesh and in the deeds of the flesh and in sin? That right there is going to reveal to us where we are truly at with Jesus. But hey, if the pastors can come up front... And maybe this morning you were convicted. Maybe you were even condemned, right? Maybe your emotions, your feelings, they were beating you up throughout the service. I encourage you to come up front and pray with one of the pastors. Maybe you realize this morning, I'm not a believer. I'm I'm just a make-believer. I come to Calvary Chapel, Miami, but I act one way with my spouse. I act another way in the office. I act another way out and about. Man, come up front and pray with one of the pastors. So, hey, let's all stand, we'll pray, and we'll close in worship. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord, for this afternoon, God. And Lord, I pray that you truly give us that conviction, Lord, to be obedient to your word, God. For the dads and the moms here, Lord, help us not just assume that our kids are saved, God. Help us to have ownership in being the priest of our homes, Lord. Help us to be obedient, Lord, how you would tell us, Lord, every time we sit down to eat, to talk about the things you have done for us, Lord, to talk about your word, to talk about your miracles, Lord, to share our testimony with our own kids, Lord. Lord, help us to do that, and Lord, help us to be obedient to your commandments. May we not just say that we're your friend, Lord. May we not just love you in just words, but Lord, may it be in deed and in truth, God. So Lord, we just love you, Help us to come boldly with confidence to your throne of grace right now, God. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. The head that once was crowned with thorns Is crowned with glory now The Savior now to wash our feet now at his feet we bow the one who wore our sin and shame now rubbed in majesty the radiance of Now shines for all to see